Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hey, good morning. Who do you count on and who counts on you? Who do you count on? Who are you counting on today? And who is counting on you today? My dad was fond of saying, um, you can count on one hand the people you can truly count on. So who, like, who makes that list for you today? Who are the people you can count on? Who, you know, that... If you limit it to one hand, like, who can you count on? And then who's counting on you? I count on Paul Perot. He is so dutifully here every morning. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, Carmen. I know you're up to other things. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm getting Mark Caleb Smith ready to join us here in a little bit. So, <laughs> And we count on job. you to do that. Doing my job. <laughs> I know. So good. We count on you. Um Thank you. If you're listening right now, you count on us, right? And we count on you. And so thank you for showing up so faithfully in um, the one-day winter fundraiser we held this week. I mean, we count on you. In my own life, I mean, I count on Jim, my husband, and he counts on me. So who do you count on and who counts on you? Where and in whom have you put your hope? And how are those two things connected? who you count on, who counts on you, and where you put your hope. And then how about longing? What are you longing for? What are you longing for? From a worldly perspective, hope and longing sound insubstantial and sometimes even fuzzy. They're hard to grasp or take hold of. But from the perspective of a person who puts their hope in the Lord and longs for the promises of God to come true, then hope and longing are actually certainties. They're real. They're substantial. They're worthy of waiting around for. And because God can be counted on, those who put their hope in him, those who long for him, will certainly be satisfied. Let me say that again. Because God can be counted on, you can count on God to be God. And that means you can count on God to be good. You can count on God to be present and holy and faithful and just. Because God can be counted on, those who put their hope in him, those who long for him, will certainly be satisfied. That's the message of today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day. So where in the word are you today? I am in Psalm 130, verses 5 and 6, where the psalmist says, I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. I hope you are counting on the Lord today. I am counting on the Lord. I am counting on the Lord to be himself. I'm counting on God to be God. I'm counting on God to be 
present and true, holy and just, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, I am counting on God to forgive and to continue the good work that he began within me. I'm counting on God to continue transforming each of us by one degree of glory to another more into the likeness of Christ. I am counting on God to use me and to use you according to his will, to bless me and to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I am counting on God to keep the promises he has made. I'm counting on him. And yes, like the psalmist says, I have put my hope in his word. Where have you put your hope? Where does your hope rest? From what does your hope spring eternal? And yes, with the psalmist, I long for the Lord. With my eyes set on the horizon and my heart set on him, I long for the Lord. I long for the Lord's return. Like the season of Advent, which starts this Sunday, always has me focused on the coming of the Lord. And yes, God came in human flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, incarnate among us, dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. Yes, he came, but he is coming again, and I long for the Lord's return when everything will be set right. Is that true of you today? Do you long for the Lord with an ardent longing? Do you long for the Lord like the father of the prodigal longed for his return? Do you long for the Lord like Hannah longed for a child? Do you long for the Lord like Abraham longed for the Lord to make a way for him to both be faithful and for his son Isaac to be spared? Do you long for the Lord like that, to show up like that, to make a way where there seems to be no way? What has you longing for the Lord today? counting on his promises, putting your hope in him alone. Throughout the Bible, we witness men and women who count on God to be God. They count on God to be good. They count on God to work out his will in the context of time and space and their lives. They trust him. They put their hope in him. They pray longing prayers. They pray prayers like, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. You alone are our hope and our salvation. We don't look to the hills, you know, where chariots might descend to save us. We look to you. How are you longing for the Lord today? And where in life are you counting on God because God alone can deliver? God alone can redeem, restore, reconcile, forgive, and save. Have you genuinely put your trust in his word? I mean, if so, I'm right there with you. And if not, let me encourage you. Like, there's literally no one else you can count on. Human beings will fail you. God never will. You can count on God to be God. You can count on God to be good. And you can count on God both here and into eternity. I invite you to give up on everything and everyone else and just count on God. Put your hope in him alone and trust him to deliver. I want to talk with Mark Caleb Smith about the name of Jesus. And so let's get ourselves thinking about that. Let's just think for a moment about the name of Jesus. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Jesus, the name that God declares through the angel Gabriel, 
the name that means God is salvation, Jesus, Jesus, the name at which every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, consider for a moment the ways the name of Jesus is used and misused today. Let's talk about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is here with us now. He's the Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. Good morning, Mark. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing today? Well, I am well. I am well. If a person were to have read the the obituaries uh, this morning, uh, they would have learned that Henry Kissinger was a hundred years old um, and has and has died. Here are here are a couple of ways he's being described. I'm going to just read a couple of sentences and then let you reflect on on him. A cunning erudite strategist whose transformative diplomatic efforts helped reshape the world. Now that that's quite a sentence in an obit. Here's another one. Kissinger personified human complexity, his characteristics ranging from brilliance and wit to sensitivity, melancholy, abrasiveness, and savagery. So, um, Henry Kissinger, uh, reflect for a moment on on his life and, and his death. Uh, certainly one of those uh, figures who would be mostly unfamiliar to people you know, who are 20, 30, maybe even 40 years old now. Uh, unless they pay very close attention to politics and are really plugged into American political history. Uh, Kissinger is, I think, probably the most influential American diplomat um, of the 20th century, maybe, uh, or at least the second half of the 20th century. Uh, He was the national security advisor for Richard Nixon, became secretary of state for Nixon, and working with Nixon, uh, managed to uh, open up the United States relationship with China, and uh, and we've seen all the complexities that have come from that openness that happened during the Nixon administration. Uh, and the goal for Kissinger, and I think this is a good example of exactly what you were just describing, the goal for Kissinger and Nixon in opening the relationship with China was to isolate the Soviet Union. And so even though there may have been a benefit to the United States for working with China, the real goal was to isolate and defeat uh, communism uh, through the Soviet Union. And so I think that's an example of when you have a straightforward action, opening diplomatic relationships with a very complicated set of motivations that can then have lots of different repercussions throughout society because of those choices. Um, and Kissinger was the architect for that for that policy. Uh, he negotiated the American withdrawal from the Vietnam War. Um, he advised presidents from John F. Kennedy all the way up through Joe Biden. So even though he was no longer in a public office per se, he was one of those uh, on that short list of people that presidents would, would routinely bring in uh, to discuss sensitive matters and to get his input on. And so a brilliant guy, I don't think there's anyone who can dispute his brilliance, but gets a lot of criticism <clears throat> for sort of a Machiavellian approach to foreign policy. You know, what do we want to achieve? How do we want to achieve it? As long as it's good for us, then let's pursue that direction, even though it might uh, create some problems in other situations. Yeah, interesting, um, uh, amazing testimony in terms of leadership on the yeah. world stage. Um, he actually published a new book just last year at the age of 99 um, on the topic of leadership. And in it, he laments the erosion of um 
of the moral underpinnings of Western society, and in particular, um, the the religious the erosion of religious belief, which is interesting because he is a person who himself um, did not was not an active practitioner of the faith into which he was born as a Jew. Um, I mean, he he fled Nazi Germany as a teenager, right. which is how right. he came to America, um, and then returned during World War II with the U.S. Army. Deeply moved by the um, by the role that he played in liberating people from a Nazi concentration camp, so quite a testimony. Um, it, you know, not a Christian, and so on a day like this, when we reflect on his life and his death, you know, that is, you know, the the faith conversation is a notable one as well. Probably one that you know we can't be the judge of, but as Christians, certainly worth noting in the conversations that we have with others. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, incredibly influential um, by any measure, and as 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 you read, complicated person, uh, and he's going to be studied for a long time uh, for a host of reasons, and rightfully mm-hmm. so. Mark, let's talk about the name of Jesus. Um, yeah. I, I don't. I mean, I have a couple of observations um, just from recent uh, political discourse um, during the fight for the House speakership. Um, one of the comments that Brett Baer of Fox News quoted um, was that, you know, in his private conversations, he had at least one GOP lawmaker remarking this, quote, Jesus of Nazareth could not get 217 votes right now. Um, Liz Cheney has a new book uh, coming out and excerpts from it have already been released. And in it, she says that um, while in the GOP cloakroom on Capitol Hill on January 6, 2021, Members were being encouraged to sign onto electoral vote objection sheets, and um, uh, one member of Congress pushed push back against that, um, but is standing in line. His name is Mark Green, and he's from Tennessee. Uh, her book, this is a, a direct quote, um, according to those who already have copies, as he moved down the line, signing his name to the pieces of paper, Green said sheepishly to no one in particular, quote, the things we do for the orange Jesus. Um, the name of Jesus being used and misused, um, thrown about uh, in ways that certainly are not honoring to him or to his name. I just want to lift it up because I want us to hear it and see it. And so just invite you to comment on it. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's easy in a culture where Christians are obviously in more of a minority position uh, than we have been historically, um, to take these sorts of things and just let them kind of uh, roll off of us and just kind of move forward. Uh, but I think this kind of language, in a lot of ways, is just a direct violation of the third commandment. You know, you shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain, we are told. And Jesus, uh, as the Son of God, uh, as part of the Trinity, uh, is as part of that name, I believe. And how we use his name is a matter of reverence. Uh, it's a matter of integrity, I think, and a matter of our public representation of him. Um, and, and I understand, you know, when people make those kinds of comments, they may not be making them as a believer. You know, I just don't know. And so for them using that name in that way, um, maybe they don't see it as a problem. But for us as believers, when we hear it, uh, you know, I think we should instinctively, instinctively just recoil from it, and it should affect us in a way to think, "Oh my goodness, this is uh, this is profane." You know, this is taking what should be good and holy and honoring, 
and 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 profaning it in a way that that really doesn't make me happy at all. Um, and it and frankly, you know, I'm not a very confrontational person at all uh, when it comes to especially these kinds of public things. But it could be one of those things where we should occasionally be willing to say, you know, that's just not acceptable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I, I have an issue with it, and I'd appreciate it if you didn't do it. Um, and I, I think we shrink from those kinds of confrontations because they're not comfortable. Uh, but there is something to be said for trying to maintain the reverence of, of the name of God. As we enter into this Advent season, you are um, you are going to hear people quote from Matthew chapter one: "She shall bear a son; she shall call his name Jesus." For he will save his people from their sins. Um, you are going to um, you are going to recall the name of Jesus when you when you pray. Um, you are going to call on the name of Jesus in moments of distress and desperation. And so, when we think about the power that is in the name, the access that the name of Jesus wins us um, to the throne room of the Father, like I don't enter into the presence of the Father by any name. Um, or by any power or authority, but that of Jesus Christ. And so let's let's revere the name of Jesus in the same way that um, that we are called upon to revere the very name of God the Father. Um, we're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, I'm going to ask Mark to comment on something going on in the state of Missouri. The governor of Missouri is granting pardons at a pace not seen since World War II. Who is he pardoning? Um, what is the power of the pardon? And and what could we, I mean, what can we learn um, about the power of pardon as Christians in the culture today? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You've heard it said that it only takes a spark to get a fire going. You've also heard it sung, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Well, what about hope? What about hope? What does it take to get hope sparked? And what does it take to get hope moving uh, around the world? I got a hope hat. I got a hope shirt. I got a hope bumper sticker. I know a ministry of hope. I know people who need hope. But how do we actually give hope beyond bumper stickers and theme songs and ball caps? How do we help other people discover the hope that is real, substantial, and enduring? My guess is one reason you listen to this podcast is, well, it delivers hope. So as you're thinking about giving gifts this Christmas, have you considered giving others the gift of hope? You can give hope this season by supporting Faith Radio's Give Hope for Christmas campaign by sharing your story of hope at MyFaithRadio.com because hope begets hope. Pass it on. We're talking with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Mark, what is going on in the state of Missouri? What What is a pardon and and uh, what what's happening in Missouri in terms of the pace of pardons? Yeah, it's a really interesting story uh, for sure. Uh, Mike Parsons is the governor of Missouri now. Uh, he was the lieutenant governor before uh, their governor resigned due to scandal, and Parsons was elevated. And I think what makes his story interesting is he's a former sheriff, and so this is a man who is involved in the uh, prosecution, the investigation, the administration of justice at a, at a local level, uh, rising to this level of the of an executive position in his state. And he is uh, granting pardons uh, at a historic rate within the state of Missouri. Uh, so far, he has granted 600 pardons uh, in the state, which is on pace to really be more than any other governor in the state since at least World War II. 
Um, and, you know, when you think of, of what this is exactly, you know, as you said, I think a lot of people sort of are a little confused sometimes about what a pardon actually does. Uh, when we think of what it is, um, there are kind of two forms that we hear a lot about. Uh, one is a commutation of sentences. And so there, uh, someone has been is in prison serving a sentence for something that they've been convicted of. And the governor could just say, okay, I'm going to grant, I'm going to commute your sentence so that we officially take what you've done and count that as your time served. And then you're moved out of the system at that point. Uh, your conviction still stays on your record, but we've shortened your length of, of, of sentence in order to achieve some sort of justice as a result. A pardon is more significant. A pardon really is more like an official forgiveness where the state says, you know what, we're not going to hold this against you anymore. Uh, we're going to scrub it from your records to the point where it won't affect you getting jobs. It won't affect your ability to vote or to own a firearm. Uh, you've been pardoned for this for this crime. Um, and he's doing this in a record at a record pace, as I said. It, it's interesting to me because Missouri is a very conservative state. You know, it's a very much a red state. If we think of the vocabulary we use right now politically. And you could imagine Parsons might get a fair bit of criticism for this. Uh, and kind of a law and order society as we see ourselves. But as he says, you know, he still thinks of himself as a law and order governor, but effectively being a criminal should not be a lifetime sentence for people. You know, if you've served your, your time uh, and you've reformed yourself and there's are good references surrounding who you are right now and what kind of life you're leading, then uh, he's inclined to grant a pardon so that person can move forward and reintegrate back into society. And it's a it's a remarkable story in a lot of ways. Uh, as far as the East is from the West comes to mind here, um, the words of Isaiah the prophet in the first chapter of Isaiah, verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Uh, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I think that um, when we think of the forgiveness that we experience in as Christians, this is the kind of pardon we're talking about. This is the kind of forgiveness we're talking about. Um, he's not still holding our sins against us. And so in these cases where there is this authority, uh, you know, for the governor or, you know, or for the president of the United States is another example here. They do have this power to pardon, and it's a tremendous power. And so I thought it was worthy of noting today um, because I think that as Christians, when there's something happening in the political sphere that we can point to and say, that is so Jesus-y, um, that we ought, to, we ought to do that. And I, I'm a fan of second chances, and I think that people who have um, done their time um, and paid their debt to society, you know, we ought to receive them back among us as those whose sins are now white as snow, um, that we're not continuing to hold those uh, crimes against them as, you know, as members of society. And so I, I appreciated the story. And so thanks for reflecting with us on it. Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting story and it can be abused. I mean, the pardon power can be abused, which we've seen some executives abuse it. Um, but in this case, he's really trying to just do it to remedy injustice and to try to give people, as you said, a second chance in life. He's not doing it to pay off political favors. He's not doing it as, as you know, to, to get his cronies out of jail or anything like that, as we've seen some people do in the past. Um, and it's, as you said, it's an extreme power. It's unchecked. You know, if we think of the president's power to pardon, there's really nothing there to circumvent him or to prevent him from doing it at all. Uh, he just does it. 
And uh, it's, it is a significant power. It's really closer to a monarch in some ways in terms of the, the scope of that power uh, that still exists in our system of government. But I think on the whole, very positive. That's uh, Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I know very little about the Libertarian Party. I know what people who describe themselves as libertarians um, think and say. But tell me um, what I need to know about the Libertarian Party. You know, do, do their values um, align or not align with Christian values? And the reason I bring this up is because they're, they're certainly on the rise. Yeah, um, it's a complicated question in a lot of ways. And I have I have had interesting conversations with friends and colleagues who have different points of view on this question. Um, but libertarians as a group typically think that the highest political value is individual liberty. And so they're going to try to create a governmental situation that maximizes freedom for the individual. Um, and so they want government to do as little as possible to really focus on those things that only government could do, say, like national defense uh, or things like that. Um, and then let people sort of make their own lives as they see fit and for government to stay away from the, the, themselves, their jobs, their families and, and things of that nature, um, which I think resonates with a lot of Americans because we like freedom. Um, but I think this set of assumptions, you know, that human beings are going to flourish the most when there's the least amount of authority around. Eh, you know, I, I, I would push back on that assumption. Um, I think it has a, a view of human nature that's a little bit more benign. Uh, than my view of human nature. You know, I, when I think of human nature, I tend to think of like Lord of the Flies, uh, where if we're just left to our own devices, awful things will happen. And that's what I think of when I think of a libertarian approach to things, but that's probably a little bit unfair. And so I think there's a human nature issue there. Um, I also think they have a kind of a, a limited view of government from a biblical perspective. Uh, they just see government as a huge problem when we look in scripture, God certainly treats government as, as a positive agent in society. You know, he, he, he instills it so that we can uh, pursue justice and it has a very positive, active role to play, not this negative, um, negative, complicated, almost adversarial role uh, that libertarians cast it as. Yeah, it's definitely um, reliant upon the individual possessing a moral virtue. Um yeah. Right. That there be this private virtue lived out where one governs oneself in a way that is good. And yep. then um, obviously we need, you know, less outside authority. Um, but autonomy run amok in the culture today leads me to believe like you that um, <clears throat> that, yeah, there's there's freedom, but it has to be bounded, uh, particularly among a people who don't seem any longer to know um, where the boundaries are. So. Super helpful. Mark, as always, thank you so much. We appreciate your time with us today. That's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. You can find him at the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University, where he serves as the dean. You can also find him at BereansAtTheGate.com, where he, where he blogs. Um, next up, we're going to have a conversation with our friend Billy Hollowell about some of the headlines um, across the country and around the world today. He reports at FaithWire.com. Let's see. Among the things we're going to talk with Billy about, um, are you aware that there is a street preacher in Arizona that was um, shot in the head while preaching the gospel? Yeah, we're going to get an update on that story. We're also going to talk about what it might be like if we could get Mike Pence and John Cooper of Skillet to sit down together as Christians and have have dinner and a chat. Yeah, that'd be fun. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
Our friend Billy Hollowell is back from FaithWire. You can check out what we're talking about today and a whole lot more at faithwire.com. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so for folks who do not know, what in the world happened um, to this to this individual in Arizona as he was preaching the gospel? And then what updates do you have sort of in the aftermath? This is such a bizarre and tragic story. It's a guy who is 26 years old. He's a married father of two, and his name is Hans Schmidt. He was preaching on Wednesday, November 15th. Typically, apparently on Wednesdays, from what we understand, he will go out and preach with a loudspeaker, you know, in the road, share the gospel. Like street preaching. Yeah, street street preaching. preaching. In America. (laughs) Exactly. In America, in Arizona. And he will do it. Um, before the church service on Wednesdays, he'll go out and do that. So he was doing it like he normally does. And it's a very strange story because somehow he was found injured. He's transported to the hospital. And when he gets to the hospital, they realize, oh, he wasn't just assaulted. He was shot in the head. So somebody shot this man while he was preaching in the head and really just horrific. He's been in serious condition since November 15th. Um, His wife, uh, Zulia, has posted um, relatively consistently on Facebook with very minor updates about him. But she said on Thanksgiving Day, look, he should have been dead that first week, but he has fought through. um, And so we have to be praying for him. He is fighting for his life. And the police do not know who did this. They don't know if the person was on foot. Did they come up in a car and do it? It's very, very bizarre. But of course, the community is on edge as they wait for answers. Yeah, it's it's just tragic. Um, And to imagine that a person out preaching the gospel on the streets in Glendale, um, Arizona, would be, first of all, assaulted, but shot in the head, and that no one, no one would have come forward by this point in time. I mean, it's been it's been two weeks. Um, that part concerns me as well. And so yeah. let's be lifting up, obviously, the Schmidt family, obviously asking prayers for um, for Hans and for his wife, for their two babies, um, certainly you know, celebrating the links that you provide um, for those who might want to come along and support this family um, as well. But certainly a prayer concern for all of us. Um, Billy, I was intrigued by two conversations that you have had recently. One conversation with Mike Pence and a similar conversation with a very different um, uh, kind of person in terms (laughs) of his public profile. And that would be um, Skillet's John Cooper. So here's what I wanted to imagine for a moment. I wanted to imagine that because you have had occasion to speak with each of them, that you could actually talk with them together. What are the what are the things that concern both of them? What would the table conversation look like if you could have Mike Pence and John Cooper for a sit down? Yeah, you know, you know what I love about the truth? The truth transcends generations. And it, I mean, here you have a rock star and you have the former vice president of the United <laughs> States. And they would agree, I think, um, wholeheartedly on a lot of it. Right? Their, their outfits. Like, there's no way that Mike <laughs> Pence has a John Cooper outfit in his closet. And there's no way John Cooper has anything resembling a Mike Pence outfit in his closet. So, like, the or first conversation would ju- – No, right? right? I'm pretty sure that Mike Pence does not have a tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, I would be they are quite different fellows, but total brothers in Jesus. They are. And and it's and it's pretty amazing 
You know, I think if if I could talk to the two of them, I would obviously ask about a lot of different things. When you when you look at when you look at John Cooper, what he is doing, he's out there warning, and his language is different from how Pence would word it, but he's warning about this wimpy, woke culture. Um, he's saying, look, we're on the verge of losing this country, really warning about where we are right now culturally, and a lot of that has to do with the church, where the church is right now. Um, he's, he told me, look, Western civilization is on the brink of collapse, and so he's got a book out, Wimpy Week and Woke, where he talks about all of that, and it's interesting because he's out there promoting that book, and then you have you know, Vice President Mike Pence, he's out there promoting his book. And his book is, and, and I bring the books up because I think that's also interesting. It's called Go Home for Dinner, Advice on How Faith Makes a Family and Family Makes a Life. And so they're both talking about these cultural issues. Pence, you know, what was so interesting about talking with him and his daughter, Charlotte, we didn't talk about Donald Trump once. We didn't talk about a lot about politics. We mostly talked about family and the importance of being around the dinner table. And, but, but we got into the culture, like what is happening in the culture that concerns him? And he, he got into marriage and the structures of what is happening. He said the American family is in free fall. And so both of them are talking about society being in free fall. And they're both very right about what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, The American family is in free fall. People are putting off marriage, putting off having children. I really do believe the strength of this country from its very founding has always come from our faith in God and the strength of the American family. Um, Go Home for Dinner, that uh, is is a great, first of all, just a great book title um, and great counsel for all of us. Um, And then John Cooper, really, I mean, it's, I don't want to say they're speaking off the same script, but they are certainly pointing to the same concerns, um, John's book, Wimpy, Weak, and Woke. Um, I just thought it would be fun to put them in conversation with each other. We're going to take a very brief break here in our conversation with our friend Billy Hollowell. We are looking at some of the headlines posted at faithwire.com, where you can check out this and so much more. Next up, we're going to talk about what's happening in the wider world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, I really like it that you listen whenever you want, wherever you are. At all times of the day and night. That is so cool. So thank you so very much for all the ways in which you support this ministry with your prayers and words of encouragement. Right now, in order for this podcast to be available everywhere all the time for everyone, I actually need your help. Could you support this podcast right now so that more people in more places at every hour of every day could hear about Jesus and grow in their relationship with him? Click the link in the show notes or give now at myfaithradio.com. And thank you so much again for listening to this podcast. Continuing our conversation now with our friend Billy Hollowell from faithwire.com. All right, Billy, um, pivoting, this is kind of a strong pivot here from what's happening here in the United States of America to what's happening um, halfway around the world in Nigeria. Talk talk with us about um, Christians in Nigeria. This headline, the headline itself is quite disturbing. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I have felt a burden to be covering because I think we don't often talk about, we talk a lot about persecution, but we don't get into the nitty gritty. When you look at a country like Nigeria, just so people understand, there is a substantial proportion of Christians. It's almost half of the population of Nigeria 
is Christian. So this isn't a situation where 90% are Muslim and 10% are Christian. You have a ton of Christians, but you have some geographical issues and extremist groups that have created a nightmare scenario for Christians inside of Nigeria. In fact, over the last 20 years, I sat down with um, Jeff King. He's the president of International Christian Concern, and they, they deal with persecution and religious freedom issues. And he said, over the last 20 years, Around 100,000 Christians have been murdered. I mean, think about that. Then you have three and a half million Christians who have had their land taken from them. And he said the government has pretty much done nothing in Nigeria. And so you've got killings, land grabs, all of these horrific persecution situations unfolding in Nigeria. And not a lot of people are talking about it. And you look at our country here, and obviously America, we're involved in lots of different disputes around the world, lots of different issues. You know, he has said even in Washington, there's not a lot happening. Even even America isn't doing much to put pressure on Nigeria, on the government to take action to stop the radical Islamic extremism that, that King said is very much embedded in the Nigerian government, right? The government's not doing anything and they're not doing anything for a reason. There is extremism that is embedded and in control with all sorts of different arenas, the, the army in Nigeria, the intelligence agency, the police, all of that creates roadblocks for Christians who, again, 40% plus of the population looking for some semblance of order that they're not getting. And I will tell you, Nigeria really broke through on the international stage. And you probably remember this. It was May of 2022 when a college student, a Christian college student was stoned to death in Nigeria. And that really, I think, shocked a lot of people and, and woke some people up to what is happening there. It's um, the numbers are staggering. I think we're going to schedule a conversation with Jeff King here as well to further unpack this because we share your we share your concern. Um, You have two pieces that I don't know if you would consider them related, but I see them as related. One of them is your most recent post at Faithwire about this researcher stumbling upon creepy occultic items along the Gulf of Mexico. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about that? And then the what I want to um, maybe connect it to is the conversation you had with Jackie Hill Perry about witches. Yeah, this is interesting. You know, you and I have talked about this a lot in the past. Obviously, the the existence of evil, Ephesians six, we're in a spiritual battle. But what this Texas researcher has found, I had not actually heard of this. They're called witch bottles, and. He has found about eight of these since 2017 along the Gulf of Mexico. And so I guess we could start talking about what these are. I think it's probably important that we unpack it a little bit. But these witch bottles, they date back to the 16th and 17th centuries, and they are filled with some pretty disgusting things. Um, Fingernail clippings, sometimes human hair, other bodily fluids. And you might say, what in the world? Why would somebody fill a bottle with these things? What is the point? Well, the belief was, and apparently because these are still being found, there are people who still engage in this, that if a witch or somebody who practices occultic practices puts a curse or a spell on somebody, that you create this witch bottle to try to stop them. And the idea is that you're capturing the spell. I mean, it sounds crazy, right? Inside of this bottle and stopping it and then tormenting the witch 
and stopping her spell from unfolding. And so the, these researchers are finding these, and it's crazy. You can you can read about this. Obviously, there's even a Wikipedia page about it. Um, but this is something that is often found sometimes inside of homes. They they are buried in the ground. These these witch bottles. Um, but Jace Tunnell is the researcher who found this and posted a picture of one of them um, earlier this month. And so it's kind of kind of wild and strange. But I would remind people, you can laugh this off. You could think it's silly. But at the end of the day, the Bible is pretty clear. Witchcraft is real. Um, you know, getting involved in magical arts, as Revelation calls it, is something that we are told not to do. And so it's a little bizarre to, to see these things washing up on the shore there. So during the Passion 2023 conference, Jackie Hill Perry um, made some comments, issued issued a warning, I think is the way that you phrase it, um, that Satan is trying to destroy an entire generation of Christians with witchcraft. What um, What is Jackie Hill Perry talking about? Because I do think she has a voice in a generation that, like, I don't have. There, the the generation that's listening to her is not actively listening to me. And so, what what is she seeing, and what is she saying? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, she. And it's funny because she here she is promoting this devotional that she wrote, and I'm like, I want to talk about your witchcraft comments because it was really interesting <laughs> to me months later. Yeah, you know, to absolutely. have a chance to sit down. But but what she's seeing is that. There are a lot of young people who are being sold what she called alternative sources of power. They're looking for joy, for peace, and they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And so, you know, she really believes, as I mentioned before, Ephesians 6 is very real, that there is a battle going on and that Christians need to live in live in boldness. She She's kind of laughed when she said it, but she's like, look, witches are bold. Witches are out there loud and bold about their rituals and their altars and all of that. Um, and, and they're trying to encourage people. And and this goes, it's not just witchcraft, it goes through horoscopes. And you go down the line looking for truth in places that are not God, where we know real truth is. And so because people are doing these things independent of Jesus, trying to find that meaning, this is deeply concerning, especially as there's an entire generation of people on TikTok who are finding these things. You know, witch talk is actually a very real thing. It's on TikTok. People use that hashtag and they will put witchcraft out there. They'll put all sorts of occultic practices. Even, by the way, big brands are engaging on TikTok with, with psychics and others to try to promote their products. And so this is becoming a very big thing. And she wants to point people back to God, right? Not to all of these supernatural things we're told to avoid. And so she warned against all of that. We had a really interesting conversation about it over at CBN and Faithwire. Witch Talk has an Apple podcast. Uh, it has a podcast on Spotify. It's on Ustream. I mean, if you're listening right now and you're like, what are what in the world? It's on SoundCloud. It's on TikTok. It's on Facebook. It trends from time to time as a hashtag, as Billy is referring to. Um, I don't think, Billy, that we often, like, consider the reality of it. Like, witches are real. Um, Jackie Hill Perry's statement, witches are bold. They're very out loud. They're bold about their rituals, their altars, the means by which they can access the spirit realm independent of Jesus. You have an entire generation on TikTok being introduced to these powers and this ability to find strength or peace, to find some sort of control over their lives, over their minds, even over others through supernatural means. Um, there is a spiritual war going on, and too many Christians are not actively engaged in it. We're just passively um, acting as if it's not happening, and of course it is. So it's yeah. not. Uh, it's not that when evil multiplies— Christians 
like see it like see it and suit up. It's not that we're getting bold. It's that I mean, what scripture says is we get we grow cold. We grow apathetic. Um, it's as if we, you know, oh, well, that's going on over there, but that's not affecting me and mine. But it is um, because it's a very real battle for real hearts and minds um, who are going to spend eternity in one reality or another. And um, yeah, I just it's it's very, very troubling. It is. You know, she had that one quote where she said, we can't be scared of the devil. He's defeated. But we also can't be so rational that we think everything is a matter of logic and not also a spiritual reality at play. And I thought, what a great way of summarizing it, right? Don't be afraid, but be aware. Yeah, that craftiness, the the reality that it's real and that he's crafty. So it's so good. So good. Such a such a great um conversation and interview. You guys can catch that over at Faithwire. It's written up as an article with Jackie Hill Perry, but in there you get the link um to the conversation on um on CBN's Quick Start podcast, uh, where they cover today's headlines, and then there's a playlist underneath that includes Jackie Hill Perry's uh, conversation that she had with Billy Hollowell. So, Billy, as always, thank you so much, brother. It's uh, it's always a delight. Thank you. All right. So we had a one-day winter fundraiser this week. So many of you participated. I want to be quick to say thank you again. Thank you so much for giving so generously to Faith Radio. Your gift um, is supporting not only the programming that you're hearing right now, but the compelling conversations that are had here every hour of every day and, you know, and the day and night. So you're making it possible for biblical insight and powerful truth and really good conversations that connect faith to life to be heard by everyone everywhere all the time. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You're making it happen. Um, If you missed our one-day winter fundraiser, but still want to give, all the information is still posted at myfaithradio.com. Um, including the information um, about the the really beautiful um, 2023 Winter Faith Ornament, which is a hand-carved cross from olive wood um, carved by Christians in the Holy Land. Um, all, all kinds of information there about, you know, everything that's going on. So an opportunity there for you to to engage and connect with us as well. We are also inviting you to give hope for Christmas this year. I want you to think about someone in your life who needs a little a little extra help this season. Um, we're inviting you to give a gift of hope by nominating them for a chance to win one of several $200 Visa gift cards from Faith Radio. I mean, we recognize we can't we can't change the journey of somebody who is struggling right now and feels particularly hopeless, but we can encourage them and we can walk with them. So I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to, you know, place somebody's name and story on your heart and then come to myfaithradio.com and nominate them. Um, Faith Radio wants to know about the need so that they might be blessed with one of the Visa gift cards we're giving away as a part of our Give Hope for Christmas um, project. You're also invited to join us in reading the Bible together. Advent, the season of Advent, starts on Sunday. And so we'd love for you to jump in with us in our Reading the Bible Together Advent plan. 
Um, you can join with the entire Faith Radio community as we draw closer to Jesus during this Advent season. So starting on Sunday, December the 3rd, we're going to study the four themes of Advent uh, each Sunday. When you sign up, you're going to receive a free downloadable study guide and also access uh, to the Reading the Bible Together podcast. And so invite you uh, to, to check that out as well. All of that is available at MyFaithRadio.com, along with uh, tons of other wonderful resources. So if you haven't been there lately, now's the time to go and check it out. Maybe you are new to Faith Radio. If so, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Faith Radio is um, a Christian talk and teaching network. Um, We are a part of Northwestern Media, and um, we are not only, you know, heard on 33 radio signals across the upper Midwest uh, and, uh, and to Hartford, Connecticut in the United States of America. We have listeners in 170 countries, which is just amazing and extraordinary. Listeners in all 50 states. I got a text yesterday from a listener in Michigan who, because she heard somebody else's name in Michigan who gave during the fundraiser, she was like, oh, there's another listener in Michigan. <laughs> Actually, there's lots of listeners in Michigan. So there's lots of listeners right where you are, and we would love for more people to be listening. So could you become a radio missionary? Share Faith Radio with somebody else. You could download the Faith Radio app. That's a really easy way to share our programming with someone else. Just text the word app, APP, to 877-933-2484. That's also our text line number, which is open now. we got another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.